Hi all, you're listening to a specialist section for people with learning disabilities podcast, A Day in the Life of an LDOT. My name is Bryony Moore and I'm joined by my lovely colleague Becky Power. Hello. For those of you who have listened to our previous episodes, we're glad to have you back with us. For those of you who are new to the podcast, thank you for joining. The idea of this podcast is to share some of the experiences, knowledge and skills of the occupational therapists who belong to the specialist section who work with children and adults who have learning disabilities. Um, and Becky and I just wanted to let you guys know that this week we are recording um, via a video session. Um, so the sound quality might be a bit tricky. Um, a little bit because, different. <laughs> yeah, a little bit different because obviously we are in the midst of the COVID outbreak. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we do apologise. The sound quality isn't isn't great. Um, we do apologise, but we're trying to figure out what we're doing, aren't we? We're yep. We can only do our best. So we'll give yes. it a go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So giving it our best shot. Uh, um, so in today's episode, um, we're speaking with Alison, and Alison qualified as an occupational therapist in 2016. Um, her first post was in an older people's mental health ward working mainly with older adults with affective or psychotic disorders and some people in the early stages of dementia. Um, after 18 months, she took the opportunity to try for a specialist post, moving into a band six position, working on an assessment and treatment unit for adults with learning disabilities. And that's where she's working today. So we'd like to welcome Alison. Hello and welcome, Alison. Hi. Say hi. Hello. Hi. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Um, so, yeah, should we get you. in? Yeah. Should we get into it and ask our first question? Yeah. So, our first question is: Are you able to talk us through a typical day? Okay. So, so I guess there's not really a typical day. Um, as a learning disability OT, I'm sure that isn't the first time you've heard that. No. no. Um, <laughs> but I quite like hearing it every time. Yeah, yeah I do. There's something really nice about it. I'm like, oh, it's not just me. <laughs> no. um, so I guess some, some days feel really admin heavy. So um, on the ward where I work, we have two days where we do lots of meetings. So they're quite intense. Right. Um, mm. So lots of meetings, lots of writing up assessments or reports, and depending on how long you've spent with somebody, those reports can be quite lengthy. Mm. But then, then other days, I might be out with patients doing doing activities that they really enjoy doing and, and assessing their oh, participation lovely. in those and, and finding out what what they're finding difficult or um, mm. what they might need help with. Brilliant. And then, and then there's some really some days that I guess don't fit either of those, where just new opportunities kind of present themselves. So, um, so I'm the only occupational therapist on my ward, and I, I'm based directly on the ward. So I've got lots of opportunities to create, um, mm. to kind of t- I guess to take the practice wherever I want to take it. So that's how I've ended Great. up doing this podcast. Yeah. Um, and then. <laughs> Last week, I ended up um, doing something with um, somebody from the Royal College of Psychiatry about reducing restrictive practice during COVID. So that, wow. that was quite exciting and, and not something that everybody gets the opportunity to do. So 
yeah that sounds really interesting no No, not at all that sounds brilliant yeah yeah a bit different Um, there's been quite a lot actually um well I know Karen when she was on the podcast last she was saying that she's been involved in some work around you know reduce you know reducing um restrictive practice and Mm -hmm. um I think it's a violence reduction program she was talking about Okay. Um, it's been really interesting to hear that from people I think, working yeah. in that area of learning disability. Mm. I think it fits really well with with occupational therapy because people are engaged in meaningful occupation. Then you see a lot less behaviour that people find challenging. So it, it fits really well. Mm. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. But what kinds of things are um, people referred to you for then, Alison? So... Um, I don't really get referrals, I think, because I'm based on the ward. I made the decision that I would screen all patients. Um, Brilliant. So so I guess in previous posts where where I might have got a referral because somebody was bored, I don't tend to to get anything like that now because I'm there from the beginning. I'm there almost before they're even admitted, knowing that they're coming in and starting to get ready. Yeah. Um, So I screen everybody. Um, and that allows us really to focus from the beginning about where somebody's difficulties are, um, how we're going to address that. So fantastic. Um, so everyone comes I, through occupational therapy that comes onto the, the yeah, ward. To, to some degree, everybody comes through. So it might um, it might be some ideas around environmental adaptations that people need to mm. full full blown occupational therapy assessments um looking at somebody's skills interests sensory needs um mm. so it really cha- it really it really changes and varies all the time with each person do you think mm, that mm. that makes your work a little bit more varied than if you had almost you know your normal referral pathways like yeah i think because because I have that, I have that opportunity to really let the patient lead the OT process. So it's it's it starts with finding out what they're interested in, and then any assessment that needs done is done via their interests rather than setting up anything special or different or unusual. So it, it's it's led by them. Um, That's brilliant. Really person-centred. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've I've done weeks of swimming with people. I've done cooking yeah. sessions. I've um I've done stuff around budgeting. Um, it's really really occupation focused, person-centred practice. It's brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Oh, fantastic. So the next question is: How does your service support those with LD? Um, so I wanted to ask, is that my service or is that the service I work in? Oh, mm. <laughs> good question. So do you mean sort of your personal service that you're providing or the service of the whole team? Yeah, so, so I guess because I'm, I'm based on the ward, employed directly by the ward, I, I don't work with any any other occupational therapists cool. so I sit yeah. I sit with the nursing and medical team um so I guess overall we're in a we're an assessment and treatment unit for adults with learning disabilities mm. um 
there might be some challenges around around them using behavior to communicate their needs and, and wants and wishes um it, it, people may have come in because they're having a mental health crisis or because behaviors have got to such a challenge and difficult level that it can't be safely managed in the community and placements have broken down yeah so so overall the function of of the service mm-hmm. would be to assess and treat those patients but then within that there's an occupational therapy service um so i suppose which, the occupational is, therapy service it would be good to know a little bit more about that then because yes yeah, yeah. So that, that's that's a, that that's there to support people to get back to what they've enjoyed doing in the past. Yeah. By the time somebody comes in a hospital at crisis point, they've obviously withdrawn from, from a lot of different areas of their life. So mm. where they previously may have had quite a fulfilling life, they might have retreated almost into themselves and into the house and, and not seen a lot of people other than support staff. So it's about re-establishing relationships, about getting people back to activities and that they really enjoy um, about assessing skills within those activities to see if it's been a deterioration because that their needs have changed mm-hmm. um, and that maybe is not managing the same way or, or not managing with whatever's going on. So yeah, so it's it's a little bit different, a bit varied, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but so interesting, and also like the both strands of service and OT service that's so interesting to think about it like that and actually have that discussion Mm. like yeah it's been it's been like a massive learning curve I guess coming from from a from an OT team that Mm. worked onto a ward to being the OT that is Mm. always on the ward (laughs) yeah it's so different isn't it because I when I first worked in the CTPLD um, I would do that. I'd be in a seat, you know, in the community team, but I'd go on to the assessment and treatment unit and do yeah. a couple of days work there. And it's really that that is so different because you're never you're not quite you're in the service, but you're not in the service. And uh-huh. it's just such a different way of working, isn't it? Yeah. To being there all really the time. Because it, it gives that opportunity to really advocate for, for occupational therapy as a profession and just to give a different a different viewpoint to a, to the MDT who have traditionally been, um, I guess, nursing and, and medic led. Yeah. Mm. Um, so lots of opportunity to talk about what we do and what our input is and, and look at things differently sometimes. Yeah, work from that in the MDT way and, and promoting the um yeah use of activity I suppose and uh-huh. trying to help people yeah. get better rather than medication and yeah um yeah which is so important isn't it especially these days yeah. with stomp LD exactly yeah fits really well with stomp mm. do you and guys follow PBS, PBS? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was gonna say do you follow PBS approach in your work yeah so we'll have a PBS specialist lead um who's done all our PBS training, one of one of our clinical lead nurses. Um, so she leads on that and, and we kind of work around and into what she's doing. Fab. Yeah, you're so brilliant. Okay. Um, I get to ask the best questions today. That's yeah. really <laughs> I love this one. Um, it's like, what do you like most about being a learning disability occupational therapist? That not one day is the same. And mm. you might have 
you might have the best plan in the world at nine o'clock in the morning, but by 10 o'clock, it's nothing like what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess really kind of getting down into that. Um, I think there's loads of opportunities or it feels like there's loads more opportunities to do some really collaborative working with with the internal MDT on the ward, but also with community colleagues, with families, with carers. Um, people people get admitted and, and tend to be with us for far longer than what we want them mm. to be with us. Mm. Um, so we have we have lots of time to really get to know somebody. Um, so I like that about it. I love it when somebody's just just in that moment and you can really see that that interest or that motivation or their volition improve or return um if you've been really kind of struggling to to work out what makes somebody tick and then just one day at the at the right time in the right activity something changes mm, um so powerful absolutely yeah and they're the, they're the things that stay with you aren't they? if somebody said like if you had one memory mm. what would it be there's millions you I just can't can't take mm. it down the wall it's so um, lovely I always think um you know and you work with somebody who comes to you and it's such a horrible kind of time in their life and yeah. they're really facing such a crisis and the whole world's kind of fallen away and they've yeah. lost that occupational identity and you're able to explore all of that with them and when they're suddenly gaining it back and you see yeah. that kind of spark in them and what they want to uh-huh. you know do and they get to know themselves uh-huh. better it's amazing absolutely and I think I think sitting with somebody or, or being out with somebody and doing doing an activity that's really meaningful to them has had loads of purpose and value in the past and mm. getting them involved in that and and seeing the the benefit of of um of that flow when they're really in the moment and really involved in an activity and the amount of yeah. information that somebody will share with you that yeah. you don't get from sitting in a in a one-to-one face-to-face chat with somebody people really start to open up during during activity mm, mm. such a great way to build trust with people and yeah. form those relationships and when we think about our lives that is how we form our bonds isn't it uh-huh. through doing things and experiences yeah. and it gives you something to it think back sense. if somebody's having a bad day you can go back to oh remember last week when we we're, we're, mm. went out to the swimming baths well maybe it's not during covid but you know like remember yeah. last week when we had that disco and and you you helped to lead it or we did that sensory circuit and you showed everybody else what needed what they needed to do and and just kind of helping them to refocus and it's yeah. so true and it kind of brings people back I've been having quite a lot of conversations with clients recently where I have kind of gone back to do you remember when we did this and do you remember yeah. where we're out there? And it's just really lifting people's spirits, even just to talk uh-huh. about doing at the moment, which is nice. uh-huh. yeah. And they can make them plans, can't they? This isn't yeah. going to last forever. And and a few more weeks and restrictions will ease a little bit more and we'll be able to start to move a bit more so people can start to mm. really plan and, and set their own goals around what they want to do in the summer. 100%. Yeah. And that it might be yeah. possible. Yeah. So the next question is, how did you get into the field of learning disabilities? Um, so to be perfectly honest, at the time, it was more about um, 
career progression mm-hmm. about getting a job close at home I was commuting like an hour and a half and then we had some snow one day and it was like two and a half hours before I got home and oh my god and I just thought oh this is enough like it's enough I can't do this anymore um <laughs> and then and then this job came up as a a new post the ward had never had that own full-time occupational therapist before um and I just thought it was a great opportunity and on top of that my background before I trained as an occupational therapist was working with people with learning disabilities in all sorts of different models and ways Mm. and it just there was just something about it that really piqued my curiosity I suppose about the opportunity to to develop a new service to put my mark on something but to get Mm. back to working to working with people with learning disabilities which I'd enjoyed for for 20 years um Mm. and and yeah and and that that's kind of what made us go for it and and then I got the job (laughs) and I'm I'm three minutes away from where I live so it's perfect oh amazing (laughs) that's so good Oh, that's brilliant. Oh. A lot of people I speak to that work in learning disabilities worked with people with learning disabilities yeah. before they trained. It always seems to be yeah. the place they come back to. I was literally thinking that, Bryony, uh-huh. just as, yeah. you, like, as Alison was talking. I was like, it's so many it's people. Like, it's across all the professions, isn't it? Like there's, yeah. there's somebody's either worked with or known of or mm. got a sibling or a, or a family member yeah. with, with learning disabilities. And it mm. it all kind of leads us down that path. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh. Um, okay, so our next question is, um, what specialist skills have you been able to develop in your role? Um, so I guess my focus for most of the, I've been in my current role for, for just over two years. Um, and my mm-hmm. focus for most of that has been around, um, around sensory integration and, and developing skills um in that sense so I have done two modules on the sensory integration um training and and I'm Mm, mm. waiting to start module three in September oh I'm doing that now yeah (laughs) I might have to pick your brains (laughs) of course of course Um, oh fantastic and I guess that that's really kind of given us a, a, a new strand of of occupation to look at and, mm. and the difficulties with somebody's participation when they have a sensory need and and mm. within the trust that I work in we, we don't do pure sensory integration but we yeah. certainly look at and assess what somebody's sensory needs are and why that's inhibiting that occupational participation or performance in, in meaningful activity and then look at the activities that they have enjoyed and mm-hmm. encourage participation in those. So if somebody's maybe enjoyed, I don't know, going to a keep fit class once a week and they don't do that anymore, I might encourage them to start going again once a week, but try and build that up so that so they're doing it mm. more because it's even better for them than they think it is. Yeah, um, yeah. Or going for regular walks or 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 you know like doing a bit more housework or and 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 um one of the things that we've we've started doing on the ward is looking at sensory circuits and and what oh okay on, yeah on 
increasing sensory circuits. So we've started with one session, we're working up to two, and we're just slowly adding that to our plans um, with the hope that it'll happen sort of twice a day, every day eventually, mm. and, and any staff member will be able to deliver it. Fantastic. Um, yeah, that's great. Because that is something, isn't it, that can be taken on by um, other people. Yeah. Mm. And you see, you see it used a lot in, in schools and um, yeah. in colleges for people with learning disabilities. So it would be nice just to give somebody that um, that alertness to be able to engage in in the rest of the day or half the day or, or, or do something um, mm. that they might be finding a little bit difficult. Yeah, it's really lovely. When I worked in um, I worked in school previously, and mm-hmm. they were a big part of the day actually, and it was almost quite nice um, to get the pupils to choose, you know, the uh-huh. activities. It gave them a role, and they really enjoyed that. It's re- um, it's really fun and lighthearted, and you know, I get all the staff involved, and and I think that really helps because it allows people to see that when it all when it all fit and we we do get breathless and we can't mm. all manage to reach above our heads and touch my toes and and that everybody's yeah. different. Yeah, um, definitely. Oh, and we'll have lots of you know we'll have lots of laughs and giggles through it. Oh, that's so fun. That's, fun. that's brilliant. That's so nice. Oh, I've got a bit lost now. Are we at seven? <laughs> sorry. We are. <laughs> yeah. Right, sorry. My fault. <laughs> Very professional. So um, <laughs> What assessments do you use um, and what are your experiences of using these assessments? <laughs> um, so I use, I use the model of human occupation um, for, like for occupation focused formulation. So tend to stick with the tools that go with, with that model. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, when I was a student, I was really drawn, I guess, to Moho and especially to Mohost, mm. to the, the model of human occupation screening tool. So became really familiar with that tool and that model. And it's it just so happens that I've I now work for a trust where that's the identified model and, and it fits it just fits really well with me. Um so a lot of Mohost initially, but now looking at how I can use the Moho Explore. Um mm because it just seems to fit better with, with some of our more complex patients who have a maybe some more moderate learning disability where the more host maybe didn't just, it just, it just didn't quite get the detail yeah. for some of those minor changes. Yeah. It doesn't always capture it for our guys is what Not we quite often say, isn't it? Did yeah. you come on Sue's training? I didn't, no. Oh, if you get the chance, it's brilliant, honestly. <laughs> I loved it. It's on the list. Get it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's so easy to pick up anyway, even even if you haven't done the training. It's so yeah. similar, especially if, you, if you're if familiar. If you know the model, yeah. Exactly. It's just, yeah. um, it's just I guess, just learning a different language, isn't it? More host kind of automatically flows. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just remembering yeah. that it's just ever so slightly different and twice as long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very true <laughs> yeah no um oh. and then I, I, I guess moving away from from moho I use the the amps or the assessment of motor and process skills yeah. mm. I'm trained in that um and then I use 
maybe it's the sensory integration invent we revised for people with developmental disabilities um for sensory assessment I, I do mm-hmm. try and use maybe the the um sensory processing measure or, or one of the other assessment mm-hmm. tools but I'm more familiar with the integration inventory and then I guess maybe something around the pool activity level or the personal independence pathway if somebody's maybe not able to engage in assessment um and you can gather more more information from staff perhaps by using other assessment tools that aren't aren't quite as standardized or strict and then lots of observations yeah yeah it sounds uh, very familiar (laughs) it's good yeah it's good it's really interesting hearing from different practitioners in you know learning disabilities and actually the, the assessments all seem quite similar yeah okay um, yeah the teams are using um which is good which is a good thing I think yeah we're doing the um, right thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and yeah using the moho model most people have yeah. u- used the moho and mm-hmm. um yeah and amps and sensory and yeah it's very it's really interesting um okay got one more left to go um yeah so the last one is asking about um whether there are any case examples that you'd like to share with us I guess the one that that sticks in my mind at the minute is um is a guy maybe he's around around the age of 40 who has spent a lot of his life in some kind of institutionalized care whether that be residential school or um or an NHS hospital or a private hospital he's he spent a lot of his life under that umbrella right um mm. he has he has moved out of hospital previously and and in, in independent supported living and it just hasn't quite worked for him mm. um and he was he was on the ward when around around when I was first starting and kind of finding my feet um and the the difference between I guess between that admission and this admission has been that sensory training and Mm. that's just changed perspective of where some of the difficulties that he has lie and Mm. what's become what was clear I guess in his first admission from personal experience was that he he really had some dyspraxic traits so maybe Mm. things that you'd say around a developmental coordination type disorder Mm. um but I hadn't done any training that was just what I knew from from sort of personal experience and then having then completed the first module of the SI training and looking at him through that sensory detective lens I was Mm. really able to pick up on some quirks I guess you would describe it as so so things like not recognizing people if they present differently mm. um or not being able to find his slippers in a pile of shoes some some of mm. those mm. some of those difficulties and and just more assessment and more digging and speaking with family and lots of observation lots of walking around um different areas different services has has kind of identified some real sensory processing difficulties that this guy's obviously lived with for a very very long time and and they haven't been addressed um 
to just to things like some of the some of the behavioral elements that come with that around kind of always being like always being the clown and, and being silly and like you'll always be jabbing people but to be able to see what the reason for that is and, and just to kind of add to his formulation and, and allow the MDT to just see a different angle that perhaps hasn't been considered previously um mm, great he he really kind of is in my mind at the minute and the difference mm. that that could make in the future mm, mm. brilliant it could, it could be amazing having that different perspective on it mm-hmm. that's the thing isn't it yeah and looking mm. at activities then that really yeah. kind of meet those needs as well as things that he, he wants to do for fun and, and what have you but really looking at at some of the activities that could really support his sensory processing and, and allow him to to regulate yourself without having to do anything special or or different yeah that would just fit into yeah. his life yeah, yeah so that's really quite exciting for for him and for <laughs> me <laughs> oh that's a lovely example so we've had Brilliant. some okay. lovely questions from our lovely listeners thank you yeah. so much for everybody who's joined in this time we really appreciate it um, we've actually had quite a lot of questions, so we um, let Alison choose which ones she wanted to answer. So the first one is from Victoria Ann, and it is, as an LDOT, are you involved in provision of standard equipment and specialist equipment, or would this be referred to a community OT team? Um, okay, so I guess that really depends on the piece of equipment and the community team that supports them so so previously I worked in older people's inpatient mental health mm-hmm. so I'm familiar with some of the most standard or, or basic equipment like perching stools or wheel trolleys or toilet frames and I guess I feel quite comfortable and safe to practice in that arena but when it comes to maybe more specialist things like helmets or um harnesses for in the car um then I would I would probably seek advice from community colleagues um or if it was for um more difficult um difficult equipment such bariatric equipment has a different process to go through Mm. um recently have been working with somebody who needed some equipment around bathing and that isn't an area of of equipment practice that I feel comfortable with so went into the learning disabilities community team but then even from there jointly we've progressed that into a social services OT team because that's Mm. much more their area of practice and and we we kind of didn't want that I guess that level of um that level of risk that comes with some some more specialized equipment on our heads when it's not something that we're familiar with um Mm -hmm. so I'm not I'm not quite sure if that's going to help the the question but so it depends on the person it depends on the piece of equipment it depends on the community team (laughs) it's individuals no but it's good to know what what's happening up and down the country that's Mm, and it it changes within the trust as well between between inpatients and even between community teams what people are Mm. prepared to provide and and assess for changes 
Mm, definitely we yeah I've definitely found that in my experience (laughs) as well yeah it's very common (laughs) um okay um have we got time for another question we are we're I think we're actually really really quick Uh, let's do it let's go for it we'll be really quick okay really quick okay I'm seeing one from Vicky uh, Vicky Malcolm and she's asked um what additional training um do you think is useful for an occupational therapist working in assessment and treatment for their career pathway it's got to be the sensory integration training really? the, um absolutely and I don't mm. know if that's just my experience but I walked onto my ward and the team fully expected me to be able to assess somebody's sensory needs and wow. I had not done that training. Um, and it wasn't. <laughs> oh my goodness. It wasn't yeah. like in the job description or, or anything. So wow. um, so that that was a real um kind of learning curve. And <laughs> yeah. Mm. I mean that's a big misconception, isn't it? That occupational therapists <laughs> come qualified with the sensory yeah. integration oh, training yeah. and in learning disabilities, everyone thinks. You must yeah. do that, surely. It's yeah. actually a postgraduate so, um, and master's degree in itself. <laughs> and it's not cheap. So um no. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be that would be my one piece of training that would have really helped from day one, would have even just to have a little bit more knowledge of that would yeah. have been beneficial. Okay. Thank, oh, thank, thank you, you so much for joining us. It's been so lovely having you on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'd like to thank Alison again for coming on the podcast today. It's been so interesting hearing all about your experience working as a learning disability occupational therapist. And we just want to say a big thank you to all our listeners. We had some really lovely questions and interactions on Twitter. Obviously, Alison mm. wasn't able to answer all of them. So she's going to um, answer them individually on Twitter, either via us um, answering them at RCOT underscore PLD, or she will answer them directly. But once again, just thank you for all your involvement. Keep connecting with us on Twitter. We've also got Instagram, which is also RCOT underscore PLD. And we also have um, our Facebook page, uh, people with Uh, I think it's Specialist Section for People Learning Disabilities. I think if you search search that, you'll find us. All right. Thanks again, guys. Take care. Bye.